That, uh, that song, Avalanche. Dylan, that's your jam, ain't it? That's your jam, ain't it? Yeah, you like that, <laughs> you like that song. Um, so this week, we're talking about uh, an amazing interaction between David and Saul that takes place. This is kind of, kind of culminating. It's kind of becoming to a climax in this whole conflict. And just want to remind you as we go through this, the name of the sermon today is Tassels on the Heart, and that'll make sense to you in a little bit um, and just as we go through this. But to remind you where this is all taking place. This is the wilderness. There's not a bunch of, you know, forests with, you know, a babbling brook and Bambi that you can shoot easily for food. Nothing like that, you know, right? This is a very rocky, very difficult place to live and to be. And this is the place where David has decided to take refuge from Saul. And so basically what I want to kind of give you is a little bit of a, a recap of what's happened in 1 Samuel 23, okay? The first thing that happens in 1 Samuel 23 is that Jonathan is still on David's side, okay? So Jonathan comes out and he says, David, I'm still with you. I still believe you're going to be king. I'm still your friend and, you know, I've got your back. So he's still advocating for David. And we talked about that in the past about how important it is to, be in, to have advocates, especially Jesus Christ, our advocate. And then I talked about how it's important for us to be advocates for one another, and we talked about that. But then something happens. There's people in this wilderness of Ziph. They're called Ziphites. I know that's brilliant, but still. They betray David. They go to Saul and they say, listen, this guy David is in our area. He's hanging out in the wilderness. Is he not here? Come on, we'll help you find him. And so what begins to happen as we go through this, you have to understand that David is in a situation now where he has to be very careful who he trusts. Even cities that he helps out and rescues from the Philistines, God says, they're going to turn you over. And they do. And then what happens is... Saul takes all his men and he says, okay, Ziphites, we're going to do it. And he goes, and basically, I'm just trying to set this up for you. It's almost like this could be a great scene in the Life of David movie. Because the scripture decide, or kind of describes what happened. David is playing hide and seek with Saul, and God uses the Philistines. I'm going to read this to you, okay? I'm going to read this passage from you, uh, for you. Just so you can, I know it's up there, it's kind of small. Uh, but if you want to look at it on your Bible app, you can, on your, on your smartphone, or if you look at it. But it's in 1 Samuel 23, 24 to 29. Now David and his men were in the, in the wilderness of Moen, in Arabah, south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in that wilderness. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men would go on the other side of the mountain. And every time, David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And Saul and his men were closing in on David to capture him. So basically what's happening is this mountain. And they're going around this mountain. So David's here and Saul's on the other side. And as Saul's coming and David moves. And, and so there's this tremendous chase going on around this mountain. Remember now, there's a lot of men. Saul's got 3,000 men with him. David's got like 600. And they're going around this mountain like crazy trying to stay away from each other. I mean, that's pretty intense. And it looks like David is gone. He's, he's done for. How can he escape this, right? 
Sooner or later, he's going to run out of energy, going to run out of food, run out of water, whatever. And then a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry, come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds in En Gedi. So what happens is God actually uses the army that David defeated when he killed Goliath. He uses that army to give David an escape route. Here's another great example of how God's hand is on David's life and God is going to preserve him. And now there's a lot that I could talk about in the theology of that. As we are God's chosen, just as David was God's chosen, there's a theology, a doctrine called perseverance of the saints, where God is going to keep you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of salvation. No man can pluck them out of my hand. There's a lot of different teachings about the fact that when God has chosen you, when God has saved you, when God has redeemed you, he's going to keep you. And that's the theology that's playing out in the life of David right now. So much so that God can even use the Philistines. And all that gives you a setup for what we're going to talk about today in 1 Samuel 24. This is the story about how David has an opportunity to make all his problems go away. And basically what happens here, Saul goes and takes care of the Philistines, and then he comes back to look for David in the wilderness. What's interesting is Saul is risking a lot because David knows the wilderness now. He knows all the places to hide. He knows where it's not good to hide. He knows it like the back of his hand at this point. And Saul is risking thousands of men to go and find this guy David because he's afraid of what God is going to do to his throne. And so what the scripture teaches us is that Saul goes in to a cave to do some business. Scripture says he had to go to the bathroom. Happens in the desert, I guess, right? And he's in the cave. What he didn't realize is he walked into the cave that David and his men were hiding in the recesses of the cave. And David sees Saul come in. Saul is completely vulnerable. And David's men say, listen, this is the day. God has delivered Saul into your hands. You can kill him, you can take care of this, and we can all go home. So here's where we set this up. The first thing I want you to see is both these guys in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 24, and I'm not going to read the chapter because it's so long, okay? I'm just going to kind of break it down for you. What we see is both of these guys in the beginning are relying on hands of flesh. Saul takes 3,000 men to pursue David. Then David has a chance to take revenge on Saul. But what he does is interesting. He doesn't kill Saul. He cuts the corner of Saul's robe. Now let me explain to you what that means. All right, so I bought this many years ago when I was in Israel. And basically, this is the kind of thing you would wear underneath. If you were uh, an, Israel, an Israel, Israelite man, you'd wear this under your clothes, and it would go like this, right? This is an extra, extra large. They used to be a lot fatter. So, um. But these tassels were supposed to be on the corner of your garment. Right here, these tassels. And let me read you a passage from Numbers. It says, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners. So you see the blue. 
And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. That you may follow, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy for your God. So this is basically what every Israelite man would do. He would have on the corner of his garments these tassels to remind him of the word of God. To be mindful of the fact that there were concepts in Scripture that he had to remember, that he had to follow, that he had to be passionate about, that he had to understand. And so what we see here is in the beginning, both men are relying on flesh. And David, instead of killing Saul, his, his men want him to kill him. David says, you know what, I'm just going to cut the corner off his garment to make sure he knows that I could have gotten him. That's what I'm going to do. And there's no question that when David cut the corner of the garment, he cut off one of the tassels. No question. The thing that's supposed to remind Saul of the Word of God. So I'm going to go through this next part with you here. This is, this is interesting. I'm going to read you from a guy named John Gill. He writes this really nice uh, explanation of the Scripture. It's kind of a commentary. And he goes through and he says some things. To take his life away... To cut the skirt of his garment gave David uneasiness. But to slay him, the thought would have been shocking. So let me explain to you how this works, okay? There's these things called fences around the Torah that the Jewish religious community built up. And here's why. The first, let me read this to you. The first fruits of your hand you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I'm going to give you another passage that says basically the same thing. The first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then there's another one in Deuteronomy. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who's within your gates. They may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So clearly there's a rule that God wanted the Israelites to follow when it came to their dietary laws, right? Don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Apparently that was a big temptation back then. I have no problem keeping that law, God. I'm good there. I will remember that one, right? But here's what happens. The Israelites were so concerned about following what God's Word said, they said, we don't even want to come close to boiling a goat in its mother's milk. So here's what we're going to say. Never have goat milk and a young goat at the same meal. But if we break that law, we're just one step away from boiling a goat in its mother's milk, so we're going to make it even better. Never have any type of goat around milk at all. But if we break that law, we're just two steps away from breaking the real law. So tell you what we're going to do. We're never going to have milk and meat together, ever. And that's a dietary law that Orthodox Jews follow to this day. As a matter of fact, in Israel, you can't get a milkshake at McDonald's. True story. And so the situation became this. They would build these fences around the Torah because they were so afraid of violating something that the Word of God said they were supposed to do here. They said, we're going to put a bunch of safeguards. So just to make sure that we never boil a goat in its mother's milk, 
we're not going to have milk and meat anywhere near each other at any meal. Because if we can keep that law, even if we break that law, we have three or four other fences before we'd even get close to breaking the law of the goat and its mother's milk. And so that's how the Jewish community would try to keep the laws. And there's tons of fences around the Torah. You could go through the Talmud and all these things, and you could see many ways that the Jewish people at the time would protect themselves from falling. And so basically what we see happen here is the thought of possible disobedience. David did not kill Saul. All he did was cut the garment. But he felt like he killed him. As a matter of fact, the scripture says David was wrought. I'll read it in verses 4 through 7. It says here, Afterwards David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, because David still recognizes that Saul is king, to put my hand against him. So David persuaded his men with these words, and they did not permit, him, permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave. The amazing thing about this, guys, is that David had such a passion for God's word. And there's no doubt that when he cut the corner of the garment, that tassel reminded him, you can't kill the Lord's anointed. Matter of fact, I would say to you that it's very possible, very probable, that had David killed Saul in that cave, he would have been disqualified from being king, and what? That would have messed up God's plan to have Christ come from King David. Remember the overarching theme of this whole study in the life of David is this. Satan hates David and he wants to kill him or disqualify him from being king. So now that you understand the fences around the Torah and now that you understand how David felt about God's word, I'm going to look at the next part. David responds to this forgotten reminder. I'm going to read this to you from uh, just a little bit here. David arose and went out of the cave and he called after Saul, my lord the king, and when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth, made himself completely vulnerable to Saul. This is the first time, you understand, since David ran away, that they're face to face. Saul's coming out of the cave where he just, you know, used the toilet. Coming out of the cave, he doesn't recognize the corner of his garment is cut. And David comes out behind him and says, Saul, my king, and he lays down on the ground right in front of the guy who's trying to kill him. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen. The Lord gave you to me today into my hand in the cave. And others wanted me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not put my hand against the Lord's anointed. See, my father, all I did was I caught off the corner of your robe. That's all I did. And I can imagine when Saul stops and looks down, he sees one of the tassels is missing, right? There's four of them, and he sees one of them is missing. And I can imagine in the process, he also remembers, why was I wearing those tassels? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to remember the Word of God. And at that point, something happens to Saul that heretofore had not happened. First, we see David faces Saul defenseless, yet boldly in faith. He knows God's hand is on him. 
And we see now what happens is Saul realizes the anointing of David. I'm going to read this. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and cried and wept. And he said to David, this is amazing. You are more righteous than I. For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you with evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that surely you will be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my children after me. Don't kill my son. That you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Saul went home. But David and his men stayed in the stronghold. Isn't that amazing? What happens here is fascinating because this is the point where Saul could have, uh, Saul could have been killed. David comes out. He makes himself vulnerable. He says, all I did was cut off your, the, the corner of your garment. Both men are broken. David is broken just because he even thought about killing Saul. Saul is broken because he really was trying to kill David. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between the two men? And this tassel, there's no doubt that this tassel that David cut and the one that Saul, Saul was missing, there is no doubt that God used this to put the remembrance of the Word of God of both of their hearts and minds at that moment. There's no question. Because this was a common practice. Every man in Israel wore these. And why? Remember God's Word. It's pretty amazing. I'm going to read this to you. You are the epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, a letter of Christ, the word, written word, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but tablets of flesh. That is the heart. Tassels on the heart. You know, we don't wear these today. I mean, Orthodox Jews wear them. Sometimes Mitch, our guitar player, he's Jewish, he wears them. But we don't wear them. We don't have to wear them. Because the Spirit of God works in the heart of every Christian. And what the Spirit of God does is he writes his word on the heart, the tablet of flesh. And so we have tassels that are on our heart to remind us. Look at this verse. I love this one. Psalm 119, there's a lot of speculation about who wrote this. Some people think Daniel wrote it. A lot of people think David wrote it. I lean toward the David theory. Look at this. And this is especially for students. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart. T tassels on the heart. That I might not sin 
against you. You guys see that? And so what I'm trying to make sure that you understand today is there's a concept that we need to take place in our hearts and minds as Christians. If you are a child of God, I'm going to say this to you. If you claim to know Christ and don't have passion for God's Word or His concepts, it's highly unlikely that you're a Christian. You want to know for sure whether or not you're a child of God? Analyze how you feel about God's Word. You see how David felt? He just got a little bit close to thinking about killing Saul and it broke his heart. Do you build fences in your life? Are you even aware where the fences are? Let me read this to you from my journal from the time that I was studying this. In my life, I need a tassel to remind me of the commandments of God. I need to do something to keep the Word of God close to my heart. I need something to keep me mindful of my responsibility to remember the Word of God consistently. I need God to hang tassels on my heart. And when I was praying that, what I was going through was this. I was trying to ask God to make it in such a way that there are things in my... that the Word of God, that the Spirit of God takes God's truth and, impl and implants it and imprints it so deep in my, my tablet of flesh that I can't ever forget it. Remember we talked about that in James, did we not? We talked about the fact that the Word of God transforms your heart. And so as we go through this process, I'm trying to make sure that you guys understand, you have to really realize, if, today I'm asking you, if you claim to be a child of God, I'm asking you point blank to take stock in your life. How much do you love God's Word? See, I believe that David looked at those tassels and he realized he would have been disqualified from the throne of Israel had he killed the anointed king. And that's the difference between those whom God has called and those who aren't connected to the Father. The Word of God and its concepts are ever before you if you're a child of God. They're in your thought process. They're in your mind. They're in the way you act. They're in the way you think. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Clearly, David was not. But this is the key to how David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that he was sinless, because we'll see he was full of sin. But he was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't his perfection. It was his thought process that saturated himself with the concepts in God's Word. You know, some say that God's Word is just traditions and stories. Ah, it's just good literature. It's just suggestions. Let me tell you something. If you're a child of God, the Scripture better be a lot more to you than just suggestions or traditions or good stories. It better be a lot more to you than something Hollywood could make into a good movie with Russell Crowe. I'm serious. If you don't love God's Word, you probably don't have spiritual life. Period. Let me tell you why. Because the scripture teaches us faith, by, faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. And you can't claim to know God and not have any passion for truth. See, let me encourage you with this. You guys know my faults. You know my flaws. You know my deficiencies. I'm not afraid to admit them to you. But I can tell you this. What God has done in my life I love it when I see God's truth play out before me. I love it when I find God's truth collaborates with science. 
I love it when God's truth changes my thought process. I love it when people who don't know God have to live their life according to the truth and they don't even realize it. I love watching how God's truth never fails. I love watching when God's Word transforms the heart of a young person or an adult. I love seeing God's Word accomplish everything it's supposed to every time, no matter what. It never returns empty. I love talking about it. I love talking about theology. And you know what? I'm not perfect. I've got tons of flaws in my life. But God gave me, when I was in ninth grade, when God saved me, He started a love affair with God's Word that transformed my direction, that transformed my thought process, that transformed how I viewed my calling in life. And I love talking about it. The Word of God is inspired. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is trustworthy. And if you don't love it, if you don't often inquire of it to see what it says and what it teaches, it's almost impossible to assume that you are connected to the Father. You'll be more like Saul than David. Loving God's Word is the foundation to what it means to loving God. Don't point to your work with the poor. Don't point to your work with those who are needy. Don't point to how many hours you volunteer in church. Don't point to how nice you dress on Sunday morning, although that's not a problem in the garden service. You know what you point to to know whether or not you're a child of God? Do I love His Word? And am I concerned about what the Word says? Do I have any fear in my life about possibly violating what the Word of God teaches me to do? Do I love seeing God's Word play out right in the world? Passion for God's truth is essential. It's necessary. And if you don't have it, here's what I'm going to tell you to do today. Today, as we speak, the band's going to come up here in a minute. Megan's got a really cool thing we're going to do here at the end. I want you to talk to God and say, Dad, please give me passion for your word. Give me an insatiable passion for your word that I can never fulfill. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee as though I were in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. What does that sound like? The wilderness? Psalm 63, 1 and 2. That encapsulates David's love affair with God's word. And that's what yours should be like if you are truly connected to the Father.